When it comes to quality craft beer, there is no place quite like Colorado, and Colorado Keg House embraces the true essence of that, providing 75 Colorado craft beers on tap. The most unique thing about Colorado Keg House is how many beers they have on tap. I mean, there's simply a beer for everyone. They change them out regularly, and it's, it's great Colorado craft beer. I've been going there for about two years now, and I'm never disappointed. That was Lindsay, and like she mentioned, Colorado Keg House rotates their inventory each week to bring you new flavors. They also offer a great selection of Colorado wines and spirits, so you can sit back, relax, and enjoy any sport you wish on one of their 27 TVs. My favorite thing about Colorado Cake House is the atmosphere. You can bring whatever food that you want to eat in there and they have a million TVs. It feels like it's not a bad seat in the house and they've got extremely comfy couches that you can sit on and hang out with your friends and just kick back. It's, it's a great atmosphere. If you're a Colorado beer lover and you haven't checked out Colorado Keg House in Broomfield, do yourself a favor and head over there today. And don't forget to mention BSN to receive 20% off your order. Welcome in to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go. Joined by a special guest, Mason Plumlee. I thought he was going to knock that ref out in L.A. <laughs> Coaches will get testy with officials, but to run out onto the court and yeah. cut him off, yeah. I've never seen that before. You should have taken a charge on him. That <laughs> a special guest, Darrell Arthur. When did you first realize Nicole Jokic was good? He was in Philadelphia for Jameer's kind of like team bonding thing, and I knew it right away that he was going to be good. He was making great passes and good reads and stuff like that, and I said, this kid's going to be good. He's turned out to be a star. He has a great upside to him, and I know he'll be a Hall of Famer once he's done playing. And now, here's your hosts, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark. Welcome to a brand new BSN Nuggets podcast presented by Total Beverage. Right now, for a limited time at Total Beverage, they have an exclusive deal for BSN listeners. You can get $10 off a $50 purchase or more on their website and app by using promo code BSN10. That's promo code BSN10. And again, with that promo code, you're going to save $10 off a $50 order or more for all your holiday parties from Total Beverage and have it delivered right to your door. Of course, Total Beverage now delivering all your favorite liquor, wine, beer, spirits to anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. So make sure to hit up their website, hit up their app, type in that promo code BSN10 to get $10 off a $50 purchase or more on their website and have it delivered right to your door. Here's the wind and Christian Clark here recording after this Nuggets loss in Utah, Denver Falls 114-108. Tough one for Denver tonight. And I think my main takeaway from this game, Christian, is that this felt like a playoff game, right? This didn't feel like a regular season game in late January. Yeah, it was against two Northwest Division rivals. Denver hasn't lost in the division all year. Utah, of course, wanted to end that. They wanted to get Denver back from how the Nuggets handled them pretty easily, I thought, earlier this season at Pepsi Center. But we had some fights in this game. We had some jawing back and forth. We had some coaches getting heated. There was a lot of emotion in this game. This felt like something we might see come April. Yeah, this game was intense, like Jay Crowder's Twitter account. <laughs> Have you seen that thing? I'm not familiar now. Uh, he tweets exclusively in capital letters. I mean, he's just got the caps lock on all the time. Um, and honestly, I kind of respect it. I like caps lock all the time. 
a lot more than what a, a lot of the journalists who try to be ironic and, and only go lowercase do. <laughs> so, like like yourself, I don't do only lowercase. You had a couple good tweets tonight, though. I mean, I managed to piss off Jazz Twitter, and that was scary. I had to mute the tweet during the game, but it was a really fiery game, man. I mean, the Plum Dog Millionaire and uh, Derek Favors, a little dust up there in the first quarter. Nicole Jokic and Jay Crowder, um, you know, got about four inches from each other's faces. This was a really fun game. Um, I've never seen a game in Utah, but... It's pretty high on my must-see list. It just seems like it's so intense inside of there. Well, it is, and the fans are so loud. It's one of the toughest places to play in the league. I was there for the season opener last year to open the 27-18 season, and of course, Denver had a 17-18 point lead in the second half, late in the third quarter. Utah goes on like a 10-0 run. That place gets loud. Everybody's standing up. Nobody sits down, and Denver loses that game, and now they've lost, what, eight straight? in Utah, so kind of similar to how they haven't been able to win in Houston uh, for many years. The same is the case in Utah. It's a tough place to play. The Jazz have had good teams for, you know, the last three, four years. Mike Malone yet to win in Utah. Yeah, I mean, just reading all the tweets of people who are on the ground in Salt Lake City tonight, you know, they were consistently saying that Jazz fans cheer sort of angry. Um, Did did you get that sense when you were there, that they're just really – I guess, fiery. They're passionate fans. There have been a couple incidents over the years. I think it was Russell Westbrook walking off the court once. A fan was trying to film him, and he just slapped the phone out of that fan's hand. There's been a lot of incidents with fans maybe crossing the line a little bit at these Jazz games, but, I mean, for the most part, Jazz have really good fans. They make themselves heard. No, I mean, it was a really competitive game. The Nuggets... Didn't play as, as well as they could have, but it was a fun game to watch nonetheless. So the biggest probably point we should hit on first here is the ejection and maybe some ramifications from it. Plumley and Favors getting that dust up in the first quarter. I thought they could have let this go with just offsetting technical fouls, but they eject both Plumley and Favors. Uh, those guys go to the locker room. Jay Crowder, Will Barton also get technicals on the play. Nikola Jokic comes, I'd say, 10, maybe 15 feet off the Nuggets bench on the baseline there. Just kind of a natural reaction, stepping towards the melee or, or the dust-up under the hoop there on the baseline. It's going to be interesting to see what happens because the NBA has suspended guys in the past for coming off the bench during altercations who weren't in the game. They've been more lenient in the past. This one's kind of up in the air. I I feel like the league could come down either way on this. How do you see it going? Yeah, I could see it going either way. And, you know, Nikola Jokic doesn't seem to get the benefit of the doubt a a lot with, you know, officiating, it seems like. So that makes me think that he might get suspended. I saw a video going around of Steph Curry kind of doing something similar on opening night. He didn't get suspended. He just got fined. Um, Jokic was asked about it after the game, actually, and you know he was surprised that a reporter even brought up the idea that he could be suspended for this yeah. game. He was like, you know, if you find me, if you find me, whatever. But I didn't do anything. I didn't get involved in this little skirmish. You know, I tend to think that officials are a little too sensitive nowadays, um, especially those like hold me back fights should just be double T's and move on. I guess this was a little bit more than a hold me back fight. Like it looked like Favors and Plumley 
we're actually going to go at it yeah, if, if it, no one it, stepped between them. It but escalated a little bit. Yeah. I would have I would have been fine with just double tease and moved on. I would have been fine, too. It did seem to wake both teams up, though, a little bit, especially Denver. Denver really got back in the game from that point on behind Will Barton. But, yeah, a couple more points on uh, this fight here. There's the history, the well-publicized history everybody knows about ejecting people for coming off the bench, most notably with Amari Stoudemire way back in the day in that Phoenix Suns playoff series where he did come off the bench and... He and a couple other sons were suspended, and that really changed the whole outlook of that series against the Spurs. Trash. Um, <laughs> it was trash. That was under then-commissioner David Stern. Adam Silver seems to be a bit more lenient when it comes to these things. You mentioned Steph Curry uh, on opening night, right? And, and he doesn't get suspended. I don't think Nikola Jokic should be suspended for this. I think there's a big difference between coming off the bench with an intent to do something an intent to get involved, an intent to get into the middle of the uh, altercation. And there's also walking off the bench like it's a natural reaction, just a couple steps really slowly like Jokic did. So that's where I think the line needs to be drawn. Is there an intent to get mixed up in the altercation or is there no intent and just kind of a natural reaction? And I think what Jokic did was more the latter. Yeah, I mean, if you take four steps toward the big brouhaha or whatever going on, but you don't do anything, and then you just back away. That shouldn't cost you a game. Right. I mean, come on. Let's let's just use some common sense here. You should not be suspended for a game for just taking a couple steps, uh, doing nothing, and then retreating. Uh, just just slap them with a five thousand, ten thousand dollar fine or something like that, and let's move on. Please please don't make this cost them a game. Yeah, it shouldn't. It definitely shouldn't. And looking ahead to that Phoenix game, it could be. It could be the first time we see the starting lineup since that second game of the season, also against the Suns. So that's why I'm personally hoping Jokic doesn't get suspended because I want to see that starting lineup. But yeah, I don't think he should get the suspension. It's It was extremely minor. He did not go off the bench with an intent to get mixed up in whatever was going on under the basket. Here's another thing, though. And this doesn't just apply to this incident. It applies to really uh, every fight, every altercation throughout the league. Assistant coaches got to do a better job of holding their guys back, right? I feel like there should be an assistant on every staff that's just dedicated to holding their guys back on the bench because, I mean, it seems like it be something fairly easy to do. Yeah, they should tell them that that's their de- job description when they sign up. Who, who would be the Nuggets' best hold-me-back coach? Well, it's probably got to be team security, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like Felipe Eichenberger, the Nuggets' strength and conviction and coach, is a good candidate for this because he is just a massive, strong Brazilian man. That's tough, but he's behind the bench, though. Oh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. So it's got to be somebody who gets a first-row seat every night. I don't know. I mean, David Adelman, he's not that big of a guy. Um, I don't know if he's the best candidate. Charles Klask, it seems like he's pretty tall, but he's wiry as well. I don't know. Maybe that's that's one name. And Wes Unsell Jr., I don't know. Wes Unsell Jr. probably, you know, f- from a, the physical standpoint, is the best candidate, 
candidate to be the the holding back assistant, right? He's probably more concerned with what Michael Malone's doing, though. He's like Michael Malone's <laughs> hold me back guy. And in this altercation, you can see Unsell Jr. He's holding Jokic back, and then he leaves Jokic to go to the center of the altercation where Plumlee and Favors and Crowder and Barton are, and that's when Jokic kind of comes forward. It should just be the security that's on the baseline there. You know, They should have a guy go to the fight and try to break it up with the officials, and then there should be another security guy holding the respective benches back. It doesn't seem like it should be that hard. Um, but we'll see what happens. Um, but like I said, I don't think he should be suspended. I think it was very minor. And I don't know, would Plumlee or Derek Favors get suspended for something like this? Potentially a, a one-game suspension? Yeah, I think what the Nuggets should do is, is probably just have Sparky responsible for Nikola Jokic. Sparky, the Nuggets' longtime equipment manager. I know he's got a lot to do, but him and Nikola Jokic have a pretty unique bond. Those two guys are pretty good friends. If anything breaks out and Sparky sees you know, Nikola get up from his seat, he just needs to lock eyes and be like, Joker? <laughs> True. Not going to play you in ping pong for another two weeks <laughs> if you get off the bench here. I mean, it'd be pretty unfortunate for Denver if there's some suspensions to come from this, considering Derek Favors is the guy who started this whole altercation. Anyways, you look at what happened at the beginning. They're standing under the hoop, Favors and Plumley. Favors grabs Plumley's arm. He's holding it. He kind of pushes Plumley away from him with the arm. And then Plumley comes back at him. So kind of weird if Denver gets suspensions because of this when they weren't even the real instigators here. The other altercation or it could have been an altercation it wasn't I don't know how Nikola Jokic got out of this without a technical foul but he got up in the face of Jay Crowder there uh, later on the game really looked like he was trying to start something almost did not like I think it was an elbow from Crowder or an elbow for some from somebody on the Jazz and he gets up in Crowder's face Tony Jones tweeting out after the game who covers the Jazz for the athletic Jay Crowder said Nikola Jokic said quote what do you want to do when he approached Crowder in the first half. Crowder said there had already been one melee, so he didn't want to get kicked out. Um, I'm glad Jay Crowder held back there because that could have been another uh, ejection, I would say. Yeah, and Jay Crowder's a guy who's usually about that action, too. Mm -hmm. So that was, you know, required some restraint on his part, and that was probably the smart play. I mean, the Jazz just needed Jay Crowder in that game with with Derek Favors already gone. Um, Nikola Jokic... You know, we think of Nikola Jokic as his finesse player because he's the greatest passing center of all time by a pretty significant margin, but I would not want to have to wrestle with Jokic either. I think he's a one tough dude. Um, you can't grow up with those his two older brothers and not be a pretty tough guy. Yeah, you've heard the countless folk tales of the wrestling that goes on in the Jokic compound. I mean, one of his brothers, his middle brother, Nemanja, is an MMA fighter for crying out loud. I mean, those guys know how to scrap. Those guys know how to brawl. That would have been my next question to you. How do you think Jokic and the Nuggets reacted to this being a really emotional game and uh, a high-intensity, high-stakes game? Because it seemed like that altercation between Plumlee and Favors in the first quarter really got everybody going. Yeah, I think it sparked the Nuggets in some ways. I mean, I thought Jokic was fantastic in this game. Um, you know, his outside shot really wasn't falling in this one. So, 
he pretty much did most of his damage inside, and he was just an absolute monster on the glass in this game. 21 rebounds, 18 defensive rebounds. Um, he pretty much dominated Rudy Gobert inside. That was not the reason the Nuggets lost this game. Gobert, 4 for 11 from the field, 15 points. Jokic decidedly won that matchup. Um, I mean, I thought the Nuggets played hard in this game. I saw passion from them. They just didn't execute. It was a mat, you know, I think a simple matter of that. Jamal Murray went just three for 11 from the field. Paul Millsap just one for eight from the field. I mean, I, I think you know, those were you know, two of the main reasons why Denver didn't get it done in this game. Yeah, I think you got to like how the Nuggets responded to the atmosphere there in Utah and the fights that happened in the first quarter and just the back and forth, the trash talking, the the high intensity that was there throughout the game. There were multiple times in this one, mainly in the first quarter when the Jazz got out to an 8-0 lead and in the fourth quarter when the Jazz went up by double digits with, what, four or five minutes remaining and Denver could have packed it in right there. They didn't. They fought back out to, what, within four with around uh, 45 seconds to go or something like that, under a minute to go. So they didn't give up. They didn't pack their bags and go home. So they showed some fight. They showed some resiliency. And, you know, Nikola Jokic played a nice game, I thought. I don't think it was one of his top performances of the year. I said it might have been a B to B-plus performance. I thought he could have played a little better in the first quarter uh, when Denver kind of came out and looked a little shell-shocked. Uh, they didn't come out with the intensity they needed to, and the Jazz got out to that 8-0 lead, and Jokic also goes just 1-7 from beyond the arc. You would like to see him hit a couple more threes, but you know he still turned in a really nice Nikola Jokic night. 28 points, 21 rebounds, 6 assists, big-time numbers. He also played 37 minutes, too, and that's the thing we've seen over the course of this season when Denver needs Nikola Jokic to play big-time minutes, 37, 38, 39 minutes, he can do that. Yeah, and I thought you know there were a couple of reasons why Nikola Jokic didn't look great at the start of this game. Um, I thought Utah came out with a pretty impressive game plan. Um, Torrey Craig and Paul Millsap were obviously in the starting lineup for Denver, and Rudy Gobert started the game on Paul Millsap, and he really wasn't hugging Millsap. I mean, he was leaving him a lot of space. He was kind of hanging out in the paint, j- just gunking things up. And Torrey Craig, they, they weren't really hugging him either. So, you know, there were two Jazz defenders really hard on the helpline, and I just thought it made things really difficult for Denver offensively at the start of this game. Well, yeah, especially because they were really going to let Paul Millsap beat them, it seemed like, at the beginning of this one. And Millsap was a non-factor here tonight. One of eight from the field, only played 18 minutes, didn't play a ton in the second half, uh, five rebounds. He was a minus 20 in those 18 minutes. And Utah was just going to let Millsap beat them from three. And, you know, he goes 0-3 from beyond the arc. Didn't seem like he had a ton of confidence in this three-pointer tonight. They're also going to let Torrey Craig beat them from 3-2, uh, 0-2 from beyond the arc. And, yeah, Jokic got going in uh, the second quarter and, and into the second half. He had a big-time third and fourth quarters, but they did start out the game making Denver's role players beat them, which, I mean, if I'm going against the Nuggets, that's probably the strategy I'm trying to execute. I'm not going to let Nicole Jokic get his 30 points. I'm going to make other guys beat me, and that's at least what I do. Yeah, Nicole Jokic still almost got his 30 points. <laughs> right. I mean, just a monster second half for Jokic. All right, let's hit a break real quick. We got a lot more to talk about tonight. Another huge takeaway from this game, I thought, was 
the wing rotation from a Nuggets perspective, Torrey Craig plays 38 minutes, Gary Harris, Will Barton into the 28-minute range, the 29, 30-minute range for Barton. Malik Beasley doesn't get a lot of playing time. Wancho doesn't get a lot of playing time. Got some thoughts on that. So we'll hit on that in a moment. We'll be right back on the BSN Nuggets podcast. Green Mountain Dental Group is a family-owned business that has been a staple in Lakewood for over 40 years. Whether it's cosmetic, oral surgery, or preventative dentistry, at Green Mountain Dental Group, you will find nothing but the best. We have chosen Green Mountain Dental and will continue to attend Green Mountain Dental because of the superior care that we receive from them. Their facility is amazing and above all, it's the personal touch that we receive from the people there, including Dr. Ben Jr. and Ann and Mary and Sherry and Marie. They've known me was my husband, my children, and now my grandchildren, and are just incredible with all of us. That was Annette. She's been a patient at Green Mountain Dental Group since 1976 and truly loves their service. Never did I think in 1976 how blessed we would be to recognize the people at Green Mountain Dental and are so thankful that they have been a part of our lives. For all new patients, Green Mountain Dental Group offers free teeth whitening trays when you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam. Just mention BSN Denver. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by Total Beverage, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark here on a late Wednesday night, early Thursday morning after this Nuggets loss in Utah, Denver Falls, 114-108. They've lost their first game in the division now. I can't remember the last time a Nuggets team or any team in the league has been undefeated in their division at this point in the season. But Nuggets now 6-1 and one in the Northwest Division. Their season series with Utah tied at one game apiece now, which is big. I mean, a season series with a team typically comes into play at the end of the year with how jumbled and how close together a lot of people expect the Western Conference to be. So we'll keep an eye on that. The Jazz are in Denver in late February. That's the next time these two teams play. And then Denver will head back to Utah at the end of the season. I thought a big takeaway tonight was how this Nuggets wing rotation played out. And this was really maybe the first time we've seen Gary Harris and Will Barton play their typical minute allotment since they've come back from injury. I asked Michael Malone about his starting lineup at practice the other day, and he said, yeah, I'm not going to start Gary Harris and you know Will Barton until they can play in the upper 20s, in, in the low 30s minutes-wise, because you know, I don't want to start Gary with the starters and then sit him down at the end of the first quarter, beginning of the second quarter, let him get tight. I'd just rather play him continuously at the end of the first and the beginning of the second when he was on that minute restriction. Well, it seems like that minute restriction for both those guys is gone now. Gary Harris gets the start here. He plays 28 minutes. Will Barton plays 30 minutes off the Nuggets bench. Had a big night, 22 points on 8 of 13 shooting, 9 rebounds, 5 assists. But the fallout from that is Malik Beasley, who's been starting for the Nuggets in Gary Harris's place for these last 6-7 games, only logs 8 minutes. Wancho, I don't know how much you can take away from that. He's been banged up. They definitely wanted to limit his minutes here tonight, and he only plays six minutes. But the big standout there is Beasley, who had been playing great so far, now only gets eight minutes in this game with Gary and Will Barton playing, you know, around 30 minutes 
against the Jazz. So what do you think of that? And is this the rotation we could see going forward? Is Malik Beasley only going to be getting eight minutes from here on out? Well, that was a little bit of a uh, surprise to me. I mean, Malik Beasley has been just dynamite in the month of January, averaging 14 points per game on 55% shooting this month. Um, It it really surprised me that we didn't see him in the the second half at all. I mean, we saw him for just a brief stint there in the first half. I mean, it seems like Michael Ballone trusts Torrey Craig a lot more than Beasley at this point. Craig logged 38 minutes in this game, 38 minutes, uh, a team high. That was pretty staggering. Um, Gary Harris was back in his place at, at shooting guard. You know, Torrey Craig got the start at small forward. I thought it would have been interesting to see the Nuggets just go with the three-guard lineup, um, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, and Malik Beasley. I know Malik is a little undersized to start at small forward, but I think he could have done it. Um, he's an inch shorter than Torrey Craig. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, he's a, probably a, a little less bulky, but sure. Malik is still a really jacked, strong dude, a, a freaky athlete, so... I mean, it didn't surprise me, I guess, that, that Torrey Craig was in the starting lineup, but, I mean, I mean, the disparity in playing time between him and Beasley, 38 minutes versus 8 minutes, Malone said after the game that, that Beasley wasn't hurt. He just played the guys who he thought gave him the best chance to win. I mean, Denver got off to, to such a slow start. They were so bad in offense to start this game. I, I think Beasley is a much more dangerous threat and someone who – Defenses are going to be forced to pay attention to with the way he's shooting the three ball lately. Right. I thought they could have used Beasley in this game for sure, particularly in the second half. He didn't play at all in the second half after halftime, but I felt like they could have used his three-point shot. He's been statistically the second-best three-point shooter on the Nuggets this year behind Monte Morris out of guys who have taken a significant number of three-pointers. He's been dynamite. He's been lights out from beyond the arc. And as a team, Denver shoots 8 of 27 from three. Utah shoots 19 of 46 from beyond the arc. I mean, that was the difference in this game. And you know, when you trot out a lineup, and we've talked about this so many times before, and, and Denver's gotten by with it, but you go with Torrey Craig and Paul Millsap on the floor at the same time. It's two guys who the defense doesn't really feel like they've got a guard from three-point range and Paul's hit threes this year he's had a decent year shooting the ball Torrey Craig's been up and down throughout the year but you know still defenses aren't going to respect those guys as three-point shots and it kind of mucks up the spacing and Jokic isn't able to do his thing as well as he does when he's playing with more floor spacers and you know a lot of Jokic's threes were contested tonight too and you know there's a reason for that it's a lot of it has to do with the fact that defenses aren't guarding those other guys as closely. So I definitely felt like they could have used Malik Beasley's spacing, his gravity, and his three-point shot in there tonight. He didn't even take a shot in his eight minutes on the floor. He actually did not even post a single statistic in the box score. Zero points, zero rebounds, zero assists, zero steals, zero blocks, didn't even commit a foul. It was a plus nine those eight minutes, though. Going forward... I would anticipate him getting a few more minutes here and there. I think maybe 15 is around where you could see him playing, maybe 15 to 20, mainly because I don't think Torrey Craig's going to be playing 38 minutes every night. This is definitely the high point of what you should expect to see him. Why was Torrey out there so much? I mean, I think for defense, uh, that's probably why. Uh, He had some good moments on defense. He had a couple steals. He had four blocks. He also got beat a bunch. So, um, I mean, collectively, I don't think it was a great defensive effort from Denver by any means. 
Yeah, Torrey was able to do some nice things in this game. He had three offensive rebounds. Uh, he had four blocks. I mean, really active um, coming over from the weak side and in transition, sending away shots, two steals. But, you know, it's still a minus seven overall. I mean, I, I think those hustle plays were positive, but in aggregate, you know, he was a negative with the lack of, I guess, the threat he was on the offensive end. And, you know, defensively, it it's not like he did – a wonderful job locking up Donovan Mitchell. I mean, that's who he started the game on. Mitchell went 12 for 25 from the field, got 35 points. I mean, Mitchell pretty much had everything working tonight. Yeah. The three ball, six for 10 from deep, and a bunch of those athletic, acrobatic finishes at the rim. So, I mean, I, I guess Torrey Craig probably is a better option to slow Mitchell, but it, it's not like he even did that tonight. I mean, how much worse would have Malik Beasley have done on Mitchell? I mean, probably not that much worse. Mitchell went off. He had his way with Denver's defense. 12 of 25 from the field, 6 of 10 from three. He had the Euro step going. He's got one of the prettiest Euros in the league, I think. Six rebounds, six assists, 35 points. He was a plus 21, Donovan Mitchell was. Uh, The Jazz were incredible when he was on the court tonight. And, yeah, I don't know if anybody on Denver slows him down, but... I would have liked to see what Malik Beasley could have done a little more, particularly in that second half. I thought they could have used his energy. And, I mean, you know Malik always brings some energy to the game. That was another thing, though. The Jazz just played a really well-rounded game, I thought. They executed well on offense. They had a good game plan on defense, like we talked about, closing in on Jokic early in the game and letting Denver's role players beat them. I joked in my story tonight, which you can find on bsndenver.com, the NBA just found three of their... contestants for the three-point contest in next month's a three-point shootout at All-Star Weekend. Joe Ingles goes 4-10 from three. Donovan Mitchell goes 6-10 from three. Kyle Korver goes 3-6 of six from beyond the arc. The Jazz shoot 19-46, of 46, 41% from three. That was the difference tonight. It was a well-played game by the Jazz. I was looking at what some Jazz writers were tweeting, and all of them were saying, man, this is about as good as the Jazz have looked all year. So I don't think this is a bad loss by Denver by any means. Utah was expected to win this game at home where they've been solid this year. Denver has been much better on the road this year, but they still have a ways to go to being you know one of the elite teams away from home in the league. So well, it's not a bad loss by any means. Utah deserved to win this game. They were the better team, I thought, on both ends of the floor. Yeah, Utah deserved to win this game. They they played a really good game. I mean, when Ricky Rubio is hitting shots like he does, it's kind of an aberration. And, you know, you're probably not going to win it if Ricky Rubio is going for 17 on, on 6 of 10 shooting. Uh, Jay Crowder hit two four-point plays in the second half alone. He might have missed that free throw on the second one. But... Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a I dagger, mean, though, that last one. Yeah. He hits the three, fading away on the baseline in the corner, takes a couple steps into the Nuggets bench area, goes uh, chin to chin, or I guess like chin to chest with Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, banked it in from the corner. Isaiah Thomas goes fouled. chin to chest with Jay Crowder, I guess is what <laughs> I'm trying to say. Yeah, two old Celtics teammates. So. And Cavs teammates. Oh, yeah. Uh Who could forget? Um, I mean, the Jazz were awesome in this game. Nuggets went 8 for 27 from 3. I mean, frankly, you know, it's almost an accomplishment that they were in this game right until the very end with the disparity in what Utah was able to do from behind the three-point line and what Denver did. 
I mean, Utah made a, 11 more threes that, than Denver. That's that's 33 points right there, mm-hmm. and this game was still competitive until you know the last 30 seconds. I'm curious to see what happens with this Nuggets bench unit now. And it was a little thrown off today. It wasn't the typical bench unit because Will Barton was playing a lot of minutes with, with the second unit. He came off the bench tonight, and yeah, I think he'll move back into the starting lineup Friday at home against Phoenix. But it was interesting, I thought, how it seemed like Will Barton had the ball in his hands a lot tonight. And with that second unit, we've seen Monte Morris be the ball handler, be the top initiator with that group, be that pure point guard on the second unit. It's a role he's thrived in this year. It seemed to me like there was a lot of Will Barton dribbling the air out of the ball tonight. And I know Barton had a great game, and Denver would not have been in this game without him. 22 points for him, five assists. Uh, I just thought it was interesting how it seemed like he really dominated the ball uh, with that second unit when he was on the floor. Did you see any of that? Yeah, I definitely saw some of that. I mean, Barton hit a lot of tough shots in this game. I mean, a lot of contested threes. He took some in transition that fell for him. But, you know, he wasn't playing within the the flow offense like you'd want him to. And I think part of that had to do with, you know, some of the players that were around him. I think when, you know, Jamal and Gary are back in the starting lineup and Paul and Nicola, then the Nuggets are just going to look a lot more comfortable out there and, and look like themselves. But yeah, Barton was, was pounding the rock a little bit tonight and he was still good. I mean, you know, he kind of kept Denver in this one really. Uh, he was a plus 10 overall in this game. So I want to criticize him too much, but you know, when he's in there with Monte, uh, Monte needs to be initiating the offense and Barton needs to be the secondary playmaker. Yeah. And also he's in there a lot of times with guys like Tory Craig speaking about Barton here and Trey Lyles and I mean honestly to come to Barton's defense a little bit I guess they play devil's advocate a little bit sometimes it's hard to play read and react with those guys you know not the most natural off ball movers and when Barton goes into those modes sometimes it's honestly for the better of the team and I mean it's just because it might be in that scenario with the guys who are on the floor Denver's best way to manufacture offense at that time yeah I kind of hear what you're saying and I agree with that to some degree. I mean, when the Nuggets just don't have that flow, it, it seems like Barton kind of makes a decision like, hey, man, F it. I'm just going to create and, yeah. and go outside of, of what the Nuggets are, are really trying to do. So, yeah, I think I saw some of that tonight. So I'm curious to see what that second unit looks like when Barton gets back in the starting lineup, how much he's playing with the bench, if he kind of becomes the de facto point guard again with that second unit or if – he lets Monte kind of handle the reins. Please. <laughs> I, I expect that's what we'll see. Um, just, yeah, once Barton gets back with that starting group, I think it'll be they'll be in much more of a rhythm. He'll be playing, you know, that brand of basketball we saw last year. He's such an important part to this team. And I saw a lot of Barton hate on Twitter tonight and whatnot. And I think it's important to remember how – many good things he did for this team last year and how crucial he was to the Nuggets' success, how many games he won for Denver. Yeah, I mean, please, patience. Can we see, like, five games with the opening night starting lineup before we, before everyone starts killing Barton? Right. All right, we got some more notes to get to here on this game. And also, at the end of the show, I've got some thoughts on the Nikola Jokic versus Anthony Davis debate. I think you want to stick around for that. 
it's pretty much why I think Nikola Jokic should be starting in the All-Star game over Anthony Davis if that's the decision voters have to make. I'll get to that in a moment. We'll be right back on the BSN Nuggets podcast. The biggest benefits of CBD are our cognitive, our neuroprotection, neuroregeneration, anti-inflammatory, and then a lot of the most common situations that, that people are taking it are for pain. That is Arthur Jaffe, a former CU Buffs football player and founder of Elixinol, a Colorado-based company focused on providing the highest quality of CBD oil and hemp extracts in the world. Like Arthur mentioned earlier, CBD has significant medical benefits and isn't limited to just athletes. Everyone can take it, from adults and children to even your dog. I wished I would have learned about it or that it would have been more prominent at a younger age to potentially have, have given my father a, a significant opportunity to fight prostate cancer, which ultimately took his life when I was 13. You know, I really think that it would have helped him. Arthur and the folks over at Elixinol's mission is to educate, inspire, and empower others to live naturally healthy, happy lives. To learn more and join the CBD conversation, check out Elixinol.com. We're back here on the BSN Nuggets podcast, Thursday edition of the show. Harrison Wynn and Christian Clark here recapping this Nuggets loss. They fall 114-108 in Utah against the Jazz. Hey, if you guys have 10 seconds real quick. We'd really appreciate a five-star review. If you've never reviewed the show before, it's real easy. Just click on our show on iTunes, hit the five stars, leave a comment. If you like, helps us grow the show, helps us know that you guys are appreciating the content we're putting out on a daily basis here at BSN Denver. We'll probably record a podcast over the weekend, maybe after that Saturday game against the Sixers, hit the back-to-back with Phoenix uh, and... Philadelphia there. Any other takeaways from this game uh, from your perspective? It was funny. Denver finishes with 14 turnovers. If you're going to beat the Jazz in Utah, you just cannot turn the ball over. So too many giveaways there, although they they kind of did sh- limit those a- as the game went on, I thought. Jamal Murray was a, a non-factor here. Did not get the Jackie McMullen bump from her ESPN story. 3 of 11 from 3, or not from 3, but just overall. Uh, just nine points in this one. Gary Harris had an efficient night, though. A- any other thoughts from you on, on this loss? Worst game I've seen from Jamal Murray in a while. Um, you know, not only did he struggle shooting the ball, uh, just three eleven, three for eleven from the field. He also struggled. It it seemed like just dealing with the pressure and getting the ball to guys in the spots that they needed to to keep the Nuggets' offense humming along. It almost reminded me of one of Jamal's games from earlier in the season. Um, where he's kind of struggling with the point guarding aspects uh, of just just running the offense. So that was a little bit weird to see from him. I mean, he's, he's been playing so well this month, um, you know, these last 10, 15 games or so. So that was a little bit of a step back. And Paul Millsap, um, you know, I think one of his worst games of the season as well. I mean, he was a minus 20 in 18 minutes, just one for eight from the field. I remember the one field goal, though. Oh, yeah. It was the baseline, <laughs> the baseline reverse dunk. dunk. That was pretty sexy. Um, I mean, Gobert was, was just playing like 10 feet off of him uh, in the first quarter there. Um, you know, I, I wonder if, if Millsap had just gotten like uh, one or two threes to go down in the first quarter, if that would have been a completely different game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Donovan Mitchell has been going off here over these last 
eight to 10 games for Utah, averaging something like 30 points a game, shooting well over 40 from three, over 50 from the field. So more of the same for him. Rudy Gobert has been playing really well too. He's probably going to be an all-star. Um, I mean, another big takeaway, it's probably a bit underrated, but you know, Jokic had a solid game, I think, as he continues to add to his all-star resume. And, you know, I don't think he's going to be a starter, but he should be. In my opinion, I think if you're looking at him or Anthony Davis for a starter in the Western Conference, I think it should be Jokic. Who are your starters right now? For me, I think there are three locks. I'd say Harden, Curry, Kevin Durant are locks. So two guards and one front court player. And then for the two other front court spots, I think you're deciding between Jokic, Paul George, and Anthony Davis. Is that how you see it? So you're not even considering LeBron. I mean, he has missed the last month or so. Yeah, your best ability is availability, and I just don't think LeBron has played enough games. I mean, he's been out for so long now. He's been out since Christmas, exactly a month now. To this point in the season, LeBron's played 34 games. I I just think he's missed too much time to be a starter. And I know what you're thinking. Steph Curry's only played 36 games. The difference is... When comparing Steph Curry's season to the guy who could potentially take his spot, Damian Lillard, there's a much bigger gap there than comparing LeBron's season to the next guy up in the front court, if that's a Paul George. Paul George has had an unbelievable season, very comparable, if not better, to LeBron's. I think I agree with that, and I'm with you. Curry and Harden are locks for me. Kevin Durant is a lock as well. Kevin Durant has been amazing this year. Yeah, it it comes down to... AD, Jokic, and Paul George for, for two spots. And, you know, if it was up to me, I, I'd start Paul George and Jokic. Um, I, I know Anthony Davis is putting up big numbers this year, but look, the Pelicans are in 11th place right now. I mean, we've got to reward Paul George and Jokic for, for team success. Uh, I mean, the Nuggets are in second place. You're, you're really going to tell me that Anthony Davis has been better than Jokic through these 45 games or whatever? I mean, the stats will tell you that Anthony Davis has had a much better year than Jokic. The counting stats, 29.3 points for Davis, 13.3 rebounds, just stupid numbers, two and a half blocks per game. Jokic's stats, incredibly impressive, 19.6 points, 10.0 rebounds, 7.7 assists per game. They don't look as impressive as Davis's, but I mean, still historic numbers for a big man. I mean, I think what it comes down to to me is, one, I think the individual scoring from Davis is a little overrated considering the Pelicans are below 500, have been below 500 for the entire year, haven't really been in the playoff chase for these last couple of months. I mean, it seems like whatever Anthony Davis is doing on the offensive end of the floor isn't leading to wins. And... Another thing is, I think Nikola Jokic could average 29 points a game if he really wanted to. Uh, We saw tonight how, when he needs to, he scores 28 points without even really doing anything in the first quarter. So if Jokic wanted to average Anthony Davis-type numbers, I think he could. If he wanted to cut down his assists a little more and take some more shots, I think he actually could post pretty similar numbers to what Anthony Davis does. I think the difference is Jokic has realized that that's probably not the best way to win games by just me scoring 29 points. I don't think Davis has realized that yet, and, and maybe that's why New Orleans hasn't had the type of success Denver has this year. 
Yeah, I think a lot of people are finally starting to see and realize how good Nikola Jokic is, but I think one reason why it's taken so long, I mean, I guess, number one, the Nuggets are finally having a lot of team success, but also, you know, the, the seven and a half assists that Jokic is averaging, they do a pretty good job indicating how much better he makes his teammates, but they don't do a great job. Um, I think if there was a metric that, that just evaluated like a shots and how often a player when he's on the court generates a shots for him and his teammates that Jokic would be like in the top four or five in basketball. Like Mm -hmm. he's right there with Harden. He's right there with Curry. He's right there with LeBron for me for consistently just generating great locks for great looks for his team. And that's a difficult thing to quantify. I mean, I think that shows up in the advanced numbers sometimes, but Jokic does that almost better than anyone. And explain to me this. Everybody will come in for this argument and say, oh, Anthony Davis is a defensive player of the year candidate. Jokic, oh, he, he's a minus on the defensive end of the four, which, I mean, that's not true. Jokic has been average to above average on defense this year. The Nuggets have been a top 10 defense for the entire season, except for these last couple weeks. Tell me how the New Orleans Pelicans are one of the worst defensive teams in the league with Anthony Davis. And tell me how the Pelicans give up 109.7 points per 100 possessions with Davis on the floor. You can't look at the Pelicans roster and tell me they have worse defensive players than Denver's roster does, especially with the fact that Denver was without three or five starters for most of the year. How is New Orleans so bad on defense, even though they have this unbelievable defensive player of the year in Anthony Davis? Yeah, the other thing I wonder about, too, is how much of a toll does it does it take, or what kind of effect does it have on the players on the Pelicans roster that they're hearing all these Anthony Davis rumors and, and you know, Rich Paul's his agent and maybe he wants to be in LA or maybe it's inevitable that he's a Laker or, or something like that. I mean, that, that just can't be good for, for team morale. Um, you know, I know Anthony Davis has pretty much said all the right things publicly, but that just can't be healthy. Um, when, you know, everybody's thinking about, Oh, our, our best guy might leave versus Denver where, I mean, the best guy is going to be here for five more years at least, and right. he's completely bought in, and he's the most unselfish dude on the team. Yeah, I don't know how much that impacts players. I really don't. I'd love to know, though. Another big thing is I don't think Anthony Davis necessarily makes his teammates better. And I mean, Nikola Jokic, that's his M.O., right? Nikola Jokic is going to elevate everybody's play on the offensive end of the floor, Anthony Davis, he gets his numbers. I'm not sure how much better he makes his teammates, though, when it really comes down to it. And the fact that Jokic has carried Denver all year and, more importantly, carried them through that month stretch where they were without three or five starters, I think he definitely should be. And if those are the two you're debating when picking an all-star game starter. Look, there's no question in my mind that Nikola Jokic is more deserving to be an all-star starter this year. I mean... What you're supposed to go on is just what we've seen so far in the 2018-19 season, and Jokic's body of work through these 45 games or whatever is more impressive. Let me ask you this. Who do you think is the better player? Like, if you're just starting a team and you had a number one overall pick and could pick anyone in the league, Hmm. who would you rather start your team with, Jokic or Anthony Davis? Oh, man. I'd probably still go Anthony Davis. Yeah, I think I probably would, too. But I, I, I have to think about it um, pretty hard. And, you know, I, I heard Ben Gallivar and Andrew Sharp have kind of this conversation on open floor. And Ben Gallivar said 
the gap between Jokic and Davis is a lot smaller than you think, and, and I is. agree with that. It is. Davis has done it in the playoffs. They swept the Trailblazers last year. He's been unbelievable in the playoffs. I think Jokic is going to be a great playoff performer too, but I'd take Anthony Davis over Jokic for a player to build around, but you have to think about it. You're right. It's a lot closer than you think. And Jokic's play this year has really been the driving factor in making that a conversation. So it's an interesting debate. I think it should be Jokic. I think he should be a starter in the All-Star game this year over Davis. If those are the two guys you're debating against, Paul George, I think he's got a really good case to be in there as well. If LeBron gets in, I don't think I'd be furious, but I feel like he's missed a lot of games here. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, for Denver to be where they're at and Paul Millsap, Gary Harrison, Will Barton have missed a combined 65 games is pretty incredible. I mean, we've seen a game and a half of the starting lineup Denver rolled out on opening night. Hopefully, barring any suspensions, we'll see that on Friday against the Phoenix Suns. I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic, too. I don't think Jokic should be suspended, and I don't think he gets suspended. I think maybe there's a bigger chance that Plumlee gets a one-game suspension than Jokic does. We'll see, though. All right, let us know what you think. Do you think Jokic should be starting over Anthony Davis in the All-Star game? Let us know. Hit up the Total Beverage Fan Hotline, 1-800-BSN-8394. 1-800-BSN-8394. We'll get to some calls on Friday's show. Got a couple we've saved up here over the week, so we'll get to those then. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll talk with you guys on Friday. Hey, BSN fans, your favorite Colorado Sports Network has partnered with your favorite Colorado beer, and we're giving them away for free. But in true BSN fashion, we're not letting you go to some major chain for it. We want you to go to your local neighborhood bar and support a real Colorado business. That's why we've created the bar page where any BSN subscriber can go in and get a free beer whenever they want. Just go to bsnbars.com and you can get one free Coors Banquet at any bar on that list. All you have to do is show the bartender the VIP image on that page in your browser and you can retrieve a free Coors Banquet beer at any of those bars. There are over 20 bars there. You're sure to find one close to you. It's bsnbars.com. Find a bar and get a free Coors Banquet on the house. Thanks for listening to the BSN Denver Podcast Network.